0: Hello and welcome to the Future of Femalehood podcast, where we work to build a healthier and happier world for women through AI. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Emma, an AI companion that supports women along femalehood. Um, I know that I started this, as I always do, by saying where we build a healthier and happier world. But I'll be honest with you, what we're here to talk about today, I don't think is very happy. And sadly, this is not the first time that we've had this conversation um, as a group. So I thought that we would hold an emergency podcast session, if that's the best way to say it. Um, and I'm bringing it to you today with two of um, the members from my team. So we have Morgan Rose, who I'm going to let introduce herself, and Krishma Patel. But we don't have any guests today. Um, I want to preface this by saying that what we're talking about today is Tory Bowie, which I'll tell you about in just one second. Um, But I want you to know that the three women that you're listening to on this podcast, none of us identify as black females and we are missing a black voice, which I think is really important on this podcast. But I really wanted to bring it to you by all of us and our reaction since we build AI and we believe that stories like this that we hear over and over, um, sadly, could really change in the future because of things like AI. So before I have Morgan and Karishma introduce themselves, I'm going to give you guys a quick background. Um, of what we're gonna be talking about because both of their backgrounds relate to this. And I think that they're gonna be really interesting to hear their views on this story. So um, I'm sure that you all have seen the news and if you haven't, um, it's definitely something important for us all to read up on. But um, American track and field champion Tori Bowie died unfortunately from complications of childbirth. According to her autopsy report, which was released recently by the Orange County, Florida Medical Examiner's Office, um it seems like that the three-time olympic medalist was found deceased in her bed on may 2nd uh she's 32 years old and she was estimated to be approximately eight months pregnant and there was evidence in the report that she had been in labor um to say this is tragic would be a complete understatement but in my opinion it's more tragic because these are childbirth complications and i'm not saying as someone who's not a medical provider that there's not times that childbirth will result in complications like death, but we all know the stats. And we know that a lot of the times it just doesn't need to happen, especially in the United States. And that's a lot of what I think we're gonna talk about today. Um, Before I pass this over to Morgan, who's gonna introduce herself first, I do wanna say that the report did include um, that there was associations with conditions like preeclampsia and eclampsia. So with that, uh, Morgan, hi.
1: Hey, Amanda. Um, yeah, just a quick intro. So I am head of science at Emma. I'm also a certified nurse midwife, a woman's health nurse practitioner, and an international board certified lactation consultant. And I spent majority of my career when I was in um, healthcare at the bedside at the University of Chicago Medical Center, where we served a high risk population, um, where things like systemic racism really impacted access to care, quality of care, and um, health outcomes. And so this story while amanda said none of us here identify as um black females i think we all resonate with certain aspects of this story and just how infuriating it is um to read another report like this especially from someone who you know is such an 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 elite athlete who takes such good care of her body and knows her body better than anyone and just to hear what happened is yeah we're just going to talk about that today and get into a little bit of what maybe happened to her and where some of the gaps in care could have been and how ai could potentially improve things like this in the future um but we'll also kick it over to case so she can introduce herself and then we can dive in
2: yeah um hi guys uh, i am the chief experience officer with emma um and i read the story i mean i read about it and i immediately sent a text to amanda who said she had just sent a text about it to morgan and we would all been separately texting about this and decided, you know what, this is definitely a topic that's serious enough and important enough that needs the airspace to to be discussed um, on this type of forum. Because while none of us identify as Black women, I think we owe it to our, you know, our fellow women of color to bring more voices to this topic. Because I just think it's so unfair that it's, feels like it's almost up to them to have to talk about it and advocate. I think all of us need to advocate for this because it's so it's just these type of things I think at this point feel like they should be avoidable um for the most part. And I think that what Amanda said with the statistics of, you know, maternal uh mortality complications for black women being two times higher than um women that are not of color, I think that's honestly an abomination to so many different things that play into that whether it's um biases in the healthcare system i think it's a lack of trust with the healthcare system for good reason um and i think um it brought up a lot of questions for me too that i would love for morgan to help answer because as someone who just went through childbirth twice in 2 years um uh, i realized as i was reading the story that i got did all that i had standard prenatal care very good prenatal care um and i left reading this article wondering wow i actually don't even know what the signs for pre are other than the fact that they would just check my blood pressure like the education on the topic for pregnant women or women that are trying to be pregnant is so minimal the fact that i've been through 18 months of pregnancy and Two and a half years and I still don't know the answer to these questions just because it hasn't really been properly discussed through my care makes me, you know, very, you know, have I just it raises a lot of concern for me for the state of how some some prenatal and postnatal care is for women in general and especially for women of color.
0: Yeah. So let's let's um before you get started, Morgan, because I do really want you to kick this off and to lead this conversation. Um, but before you get started, I just want to preference one thing. So all three of us have been building Emma from the ground up and more than 30% of our users, and we've had over a hundred thousand downloads since the beginning, just so everyone knows that's like, who's listening that Morgan Krishma and I um, have really spent our time building this product, listening to women on the application and more than 30% of our users do identify as black females on Emma. So we're constantly listening to these stories. And it's really unique to just say the reason why this story is everywhere is because she was famous because she's an athlete, but this is happening all the time. And women on our app are constantly talking about why they feel like they are disenfranchised in the medical system. I mean, like there's so many layers. So we do have an upcoming episode. It's already scheduled. It's one of our amazing doulas who does a lot of work around the disparities that exist in birth and labor as an industry as a whole. Sierra will be on for us. Um, So stay tuned for that as well. But otherwise, um, Morgan, why don't you kick it off for us? And in particular, let's talk about preeclampsia and eclampsia, just like what that is, what do you think happened, all that stuff. So
1: go for it. I mean, I was thinking I could give like a brief definition of what eclampsia um, and preeclampsia are, but I also would love to just talk with you and Kay about like, you read this story as lay people who aren't medical professionals. I found a lot of gaps and sort of, some gaslighting techniques and how the media has talked about it and so i'm just i would love to have a conversation with you all too around like what you picked up on in the story where questions popped up for you and then maybe i can jump into to fill in some of the the medical knowledge and the questions that we just can't answer because we don't have enough to the story about like what really happened but yeah um, so as kay mentioned uh the autopsy report did talk about eclampsia and Um, that Tori was in labor during the time of her death. And so preeclampsia and eclampsia, they're pregnancy related disorders. They typically start after 20 weeks of pregnancy. You can have like high blood pressure in early pregnancy, but once you hit 20 weeks, and if you start to show some other signs, um, which include like protein in your urine, swelling, high blood pressure, headaches that don't go away with Tylenol or caffeine, spots before your eyes. So it's a lot of like kind of some subjective Um, information and then also objective um, tests that we do. Um, But a lot of providers, unless you're in a high-risk population, don't really do an investigation that they should do on someone who's reporting symptoms of like headaches and spots before your eyes or right upper belly pain, like it just is easily dismissed. Um, But it's something that should not be dismissed because it's life-threatening. Um, eclampsia is sort of the next stage after preeclampsia. It's what can lead to seizures and organ failure and ultimately can lead to death unless you deliver your baby. So usually when you hit that point, it's an emergency situation. It's get the baby out as quickly as possible. Try to stabilize the mom's um, blood pressure and, um, you know, there are different medications we can do to help assist that, to get the baby out quickly. But, um, it is a life threatening emergency situation when you get to that point. Um, There are reports that 30% of cases of preeclampsia are not diagnosed before delivery, uh, which is an incredibly high number. Um, And then there's another report that it's preeclampsia was missed or misdiagnosed in about 25% of cases. Um, So there's provider failure on this. Uh, I don't know if that's what happened with Tori Bowie, but um, this is kind of where I would love to jump in from a man in case perspective, just like what stood out to you when you read some of the reports and where did your mind go? And then maybe we can talk about it from there.
0: I mean, I I obviously pitch the need for integration um and equality amongst female healthcare as like a career, right? And that's that's what I do. Um that's the majority of my day. And one of the things that I'm constantly, constantly surprised that investors are surprised about is that. We predict that about 80% of complications um, that happen in this country during, like, due to pregnancy are completely preventable. Um, So I wasn't surprised when I read what I read that it actually seems like a lot of this, in my opinion, as a non medical provider, was probably preventable. I mean, um, for me myself, I actually had preeclampsia with my last pregnancy. It was diagnosed during the delivery, I was full term, Um, but I had, like, the best medical care you could get i knew the chief of the hospital that i was in of the department that i was sitting in i have um a pre-existing brain condition that is resulted our practice so i was highly watched i mean you guys know i basically lived in OBGYN for the entire nine months um and my mind still went unnoticed and if i'm completely honest um i wasn't checked for preeclampsia the entire time i never did I never did a urine test and I had signs of it several weeks before. And I still to this day don't understand why I wasn't tested for it. Um, And I am by no means disenfranchised when it came to my medical care um, for many different reasons during my last pregnancy. So I'm not surprised by it. Um, I'm saddened by how shocked people seem um, because we know we know the stats. We know that black women are in general three times more likely to pass during pregnancy. I mean, that is, that's like, that's insane, you guys. And that's something that I think the average person in this country still doesn't know. Mm -hmm.
2: I think what stood out to me when I was reading this, um, in the part that like really stood out to me was a three out of the four members of that Olympic relay team had complications during their birth, whether two of them, I think had a or preeclampsia, and the other one had a Preterm delivery um, at 26 weeks or something like that, mm-hmm. and um, of course, all three, all all four of the women were Black, women, all three of the women that had complications were Black. So, I read the uh, Allison Felix did an article with Time following Tory Bowie's death, and I read that article, and she made um, and there's a part in that article where she talks about how. You know this happened to me this happened to tori who passed these were world-class athletes serena williams had a near-death experience while giving birth and even beyonce had um some pretty scary complications during one of her pregnancies i don't honestly know the details there but when you hear these names and you hear these people that are talking about this world-class olympians serena williams who and beyonce people who truly probably have the best of the best care that you can get at that point, right? Like if they don't have access to the best of the best care and aren't getting it, then I don't know what the rest of us are gonna do at that point. But what what the first question I had was for Morgan and she was like, you know what, save this for us our conversation, because I think a lot of people will have this question was, is there something you know that black women are predisposed to to make them higher risk for preeclampsia or these conditions? Or is it truly a, like a provider failure of just, bias. yeah, it's like a, a bias maybe that's, these women are falling through the cracks. Or is there something predisposed genetically, physiologically, um, that's that makes it more likely? Is it the preeclampsia that's more likely? I, you know,
1: you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. I mean, I have... I have my own answer in response to this but my mind initially went to the same place that you went to okay i'm like even as a provider i'm like how are these women ending up in this situation where they have access to care they have providers that we hope are trusting them and listening to them they have their athletes their performers their body is in like peak condition we know they probably eat really well they have access. They're not in like a food desert. Like there are so many of the the risk factors for preeclampsia are taken off the table. And there's been research that shows even when you um, stratify some of those risk factors and remove socioeconomic factors or education, Black women are still higher and at high risk for having preeclampsia. So it's not it's not, it, it boils down to systemic racism is, and the impact of stress on your body. And there are a lot of other factors that go into it. So I don't wanna say it's just that. There are genetic factors underlying health mm-hmm. conditions. I don't know any of these people's medical history, so I can't say like what else they had that could, put a, could have put them at higher risk for developing it. Um, but we know at least in these instances, it's not access to care. It's more likely lack of trust in the healthcare system not being trusted when they're saying i mean serena williams story just like i couldn't i ruminated on that one for so long So i'm like she was telling her nurses over and over again something is not right and this is an athlete who knows her body so well better than anyone and you don't even have to be an athlete to know your body so well and better than anyone like you are the only person in your body you know what feels right what feels off um but it's just even more dramatic i think because she's someone that you know, athletes really fine tune their ability to understand when their body is off, and she was still being dismissed. Um, well, one of so- the things. Well, so
0: one of the things that we've been doing at Emma Morgan together, you you all know all three of us really early on, was the stories like from people like Serena. Like we hear them constantly on Emma, whether it's a live event that we're doing or whether it's a post that a woman's making. So one of the things that Morgan, in particular, has been working on with the development team is making sure that Emma does a lot around helping women on the app understand how to advocate for themselves and i think that learning to advocate is so important because when you're when when you are a person of influence or when you you know how to stand up for yourself or when you you are in a system where you feel like you can trust it these are just some of the examples you will often advocate for yourself more so we have to have tools and i think ai gives us a great opportunity for this tools that help women learn how to advocate for themselves. Because people like Serena needed to push for themselves. And I can only imagine how Tori must have been feeling if she knew that something was going on. Like, did she feel like she could advocate? Did she feel like she had somebody that was listening? I don't don't know. And like, that's where my thoughts go. It's like, if you already don't feel like you can trust the system, do you feel like you can even advocate for yourself?
1: Well, one of the reports called out that she didn't trust the healthcare system. And then there was like speculation like, was she just trying to have a home birth and she did it unassisted? And there's like all these techniques to undermine something really important that's happening, which is it's not, a, if she doesn't trust the healthcare system, of course, like that is, that should be baseline. Like, why would she trust the healthcare system? That shouldn't implant doubt around like her ability to make good decisions for her and her baby. It should be like, yes, of course you don't trust the healthcare system. And like, that should be impetus for providers and for healthcare systems to be like, we are not creating a trustworthy place. So, kind of like when I saw that line, I was like, it just pissed me off because I'm like, of course she doesn't trust it. Of course no one should at this point. Like, we should trust like medicine and science, but we also need to make it a trustworthy environment where people can feel like safe that they're going to come here and be heard and be listen to. And that's not, I don't want to make a sweeping generalization, but it's something that we really need to work on as providers, um, to check our internal biases to make sure that we have systems in place like AI that can do some pattern detection of like, hey, are you making this decision? Because it's the best actual decision for this person? Or are you doing this? Because, you know, you have some unconscious bias that you're not aware of. And um, that takes a lot of work as a provider to do that. And Yeah, it's,
2: I mean,
0: and I think, I think that there's a lot of provider failures that are happening. And I also think that there's other things that are creating it, like overwhelm, lack of time with the patient. Also, like we're all human, including providers. And sometimes there's like limited awareness or knowledge. Like there's, there's so many reasons, but the only thing though, that is not debatable in this conversation is that black women are facing it at disproportionately higher rates than white women. That's just the reality. And also the fact that to make things inclusive, that everyone needs to be a part of the conversations, meaning having black women at the table is so important. Having black physicians at the table is so important. Um, And I just think that, that it's our responsibility to ensure that that's happening. And for those of us that work in female healthcare, we have to make sure that changes are actually happening.
1: Yeah.
2: Totally. And I think from like, just like a the perspective of what we're building, I think Amanda, Morgan and I, I touch on this at, at most once a day, at least, and then at the minimum once a week, where as we're building Emma and building her empathy side out and her ability to take in symptoms and like help people, we are constantly, constantly making sure, okay, how are we, how are we, being inclusive in how we're representing. Like well, this can't just be from the perspective of like one provider who's a Caucasian female, right? Like we need to have so many different perspectives go into building Emma herself for these exact reasons. So that if someone like Tori in the future came onto our app and was chatting with Emma about, hey, I, you know, I'm 32 weeks pregnant and I've been having these symptoms, Emma would be would have the background based on the team that's built her with women like Sierra that yeah. we work with to know that, you know, the, I need to treat this person uniquely to their background, to what they go through instead of it being this generalized experience. Yeah. I, think, I think the ability of an AI to be able to do that on a large scale down the road is going to be hopefully part of what helps make a difference in the advocation, the awareness, being able to have the power of the knowledge for yourself so then you can go take it to your doctor afterwards is i think going to be a really big step
1: yeah because it's 2 prong, right like we need to black women have experienced generations of stress and disease that come from discrimination and racism and that is not their problem to fix that is our problem to fix so we need to build a system that supports them and that makes Reduces that stress and disease because we we broke it, we fix it, mm-hmm. and then on the other side, I'm like, as we're fixing it, we also want to help people know how to advocate for themselves and know what those risk factors are or what those signs are, so that they can and how to screen for the right provider. You know, like if you're giving birth and you don't trust the the provi- the provider that you're with or the hospital that you're delivering with, then like we that's something we talk about a lot internally is like, how can we teach women to ask? questions that set them up for success and how can they find the right provider and system that is going to support them and intervene early um, and make them feel like safe.
2: Morgan, I have a question. So when we were talking earlier about preeclampsia specifically, obviously there are some like very tactical markers, which is like elevated blood pressure, um, you know, changes in your the protein in your urine. But then there are other ones that are more subjective, like seeing spots and headaches. And other things like that, that you can't necessarily get on a test. What if like you were in Amanda situation where you ended up having it, but you somehow never got a urine sample and you don't even realize and I got, I got them all the time when I was pregnant both times, like they did urine samples and there was no indication of me ever having, you know, I, I didn't have, I wasn't a high risk pregnancy at all. Very standard by the book. And they did all these things. And just from one person to another person between me and Amanda, the standard of care was so different. Like it, it, it was so different. Um, and with her being a high risk pregnancy, you'd think that it would be hypersensitive to uh, all the different things. Right. Um, what can or can't like a patient actually like demand from their doctor? Like, I feel like a lot of it is just like, I don't even know. Yeah. I go up to my doctor and be like, I have a bad feeling that this is preeclampsia because I know the signs are X, Y, and Z. I would even if you think it's unnecessary, I would feel a lot more comfortable if we did a urine test. Can a patient actually go and have that exact conversation with their doctor? Their doctor has to oblige or can say no? And what what happens there?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely go and ask your provider that. Your provider might not agree and they might not follow through on it. So that's where I would take it back even further and say, like when you're initially pregnant or when you're it's primary care, if you're just trying to find a provider that's gonna manage help you manage your health together i would ask some of these preliminary questions of like if something feels off to me like how will we work together to make sure that you're listening to what i'm saying even though you have the medical knowledge i have my body knowledge and if they're collaborative in that approach and you sense from an early point that they take you seriously and they'll help you understand what you're feeling and like what your options are i think that's a good starting point um because even if you ask and advocate but you found someone that's just more dogmatic, they don't really care, they're the doctor, they know what's right, like that's not gonna move the needle and get you the interventions that you need. Um, I mean, you can keep saying it over and over again until you find someone in that situation that's gonna listen to you, which is ultimately like what Serena Williams did. Um, so you can just beat the horse until <laughs> until you get what the care you need. But I think if we can start earlier and and find providers that are more collaborative in their approach that um, that sets you up for success down the road.
0: Yeah. And I think there's just, there's, there's so many different health disparities that exist for different populations that I think Krishma's question alone is so interesting. Plus, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Krishna, but Krishma's also married to a physician, has a brother who's a physician. Um, so she's very much like plugged into like what she can do and what she can't with the physician. So it's so interesting to hear her ask this. However, I'm not surprised by it. Because I mentioned earlier um, in the conversation that Morgan and I host these events where we're constantly hearing um, these conversations where I, like I don't know how to advocate for myself. I don't know what I can tell my doctor. And one of the things that um, shocked Morgan and I at the very first one that we did many years ago, Morgan, I don't know if you remember, was that there was a conversation amongst several women. Um, some of them had disabilities. Some of them were black. Some of them were Hispanic. Um, some of them were white. Um, that were in this conversation with us. It was a group of, oh my gosh, there was at least 75 of us in this conversation, Morgan. It was on Zoom in the very early days of COVID. And all these women were talking together around how why they didn't like their OBGYN and how they didn't think that they could change their OBGYN. Yeah, will remember that. Mm-hmm. And we were shocked. And we ended up having this conversation around like like how you can change your OBGYN. Now I will say. There is, like i mentioned there is health disparities that exist so for some women like rural women there might not be an option to change but for most of the women on this call they were living in cities their insurance covered other physicians but they weren't changing their doctor after the first visit so i think we all um do need to start to realize like we can have a voice and there is areas where the voice is not listened to there is exceptions or not even exceptions there's there's often cases probably where your voice is not being listened to um but we do need to learn as a society how to advocate for ourselves because there is options often that exist, and we're just not taking.
1: Well, um, I think a lot of people, I remember that in this conversation, they're like, well, is it really worth it? Like, am I actually going to find someone better? I have to do all of the the like, work of getting my records, finding a new provider for what? Like maybe the last couple of weeks of pregnancy, maybe it'll be better, but I don't know. And so there's a lot of like self-doubt around, should I even do this? And then also, I mean, and this is true. I'm like, it is a pain in the butt to to transfer your records from one provider to another it does take a lot of work and it is a little bit of a risk to see if you can find a new provider you can like have conversations before you meet your provider like do a little consultation just to like get to know them a little bit no one publicizes that some providers will reject that appointment but you can always request like a consultation before you do the whole like heavy lifting of switching your care um, just to get to know them and see if it's a good fit and worth that switch. But it is, as you said, Amanda, an option.
2: That's really interesting, A. Amanda, that you brought that up because now that I'm thinking back to your final weeks of pregnancy, you went through an, ex- an experience where you were feeling very frustrated with your, we're not going to obviously name anybody, but your provider, <laughs> because you felt like which, uh, from appointment to appointment, you're seeing her so often that she wasn't remembering very, very, very important elements. So it wasn't.
0: And- it so so it's really interesting actually there was a as it wasn't even my provider it was her pa and it was the fact that i was always showing up to meet with her and i was getting the pa and i didn't know if i had the right basically to say like actually i don't want to see the pa i want to see the OBGYN. gyn and morgan and you both talked to me about that which was really helpful and in the end it ended up being a fantastic experience but yes there was so much frustration on my side. And I live in the city with the largest medical center in the entire world. I live in Houston, Texas right now. And even with me living in the largest medical center in the world, because I'm high risk, because I have a very rare condition, there is very few doctors or hospitals that even want to take on my case. So imagine if I was living almost anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, and I also want to bring this up. And we haven't said this yet. And this is like a huge frustration I have as a founder of a company that supports women on their journey of femalehood, which is so often attached to things like pregnancy and menstruation and all the like the body aspects of being a female. Pregnancy is really hard. Birth is really hard. And the fact that we often make it seem like it's not a big deal, excuse my language, but bullshit. And I'm sick of listening to it. I'm sick of hearing it. And if you are disenfranchised or if you identify with As a minority, it is going to be worse for you. And the statistics prove that. So let's stop pretending as a whole that that's not the reality. Because let me tell you, three of us on this call, two of us have had near-death experiences with birth, and we are not disfranchised. We do not come from those groups. So just imagine what's happening to a lot of other women.
2: I actually, my my husband being a physician, I had to take a pause during my first pregnancy and explain to him that yes pregnancy is ubiquitous it's all around us every person you see came from a pregnant woman in theory and there are many ways people have children now i guess but you know it i had to tell him that just because it's so commonplace and it's so everywhere doesn't mean that it's not a big deal like it it desensitizes people who don't go through it that this is not a big deal like this is actually for most people going to be the biggest thing to happen to me physically barring other illnesses or injuries but like childbirth was terrifying. It was painful. It was hard. And it was truly the biggest thing that's happened to my body ever. And I I too felt, I was so sick of people treating me in my, the, the experience in general, like, Oh, everyone goes through this. Like all women who have children go through this. Like it's, it's everywhere. Like suck it up. He never wanted to suck it up, but I do get that sentiment a lot though from people. And I totally agree that like, just because it happens all day, every day, all around the world, does not make it like a minor thing. Yeah, I think that's. I think that definitely happens, um, and I even kind of feel that a little bit in my prenatal and postnatal care, where because it's just, it's just like a revolving door of patients that are pregnant, and you have so many all day just with your one provider that like the fact that you don't even see your doctor again after birth until six weeks later as like standard care, in general, to me, is. One of my biggest, you know, knocks against the whole women's health system for pregnancy and postnatal care. I I, I can't stand that. So like, and kind of to bring it back around to just what we were talking about, you know, us being who we are, not being in one of the super disenfranchised groups, having people that are in our lives that are physicians or access to very, very high level medical knowledge as soon as we need it can still have these type of experiences. It's truly up to us and up to like women and societies in general to kind of build, rise the tides altogether because it's it's a, it's a shame that it's kind of, it, it is the way it is, especially for um, our, the black women.
1: Yeah. So what I was is, just thinking about- do,
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Morgan, no. please. I'd love to hear what you guys
1: no, I was just, as you were talking, Kay, I was thinking about Allison Felix. There was like a story about how she hid her pregnancy because she was so afraid of like the retributions that could come from being pregnant. So she was working out at four in the morning. She didn't want anyone to see it. She didn't want, I don't, it's just like, it's insane to me. I'm like, it's not a disability. So like, we've got now laws in place to like protect women. Like you can work while you're pregnant. Um, but also it is life-changing and like, I don't know it's just this weird pendulum of it changes everything it's risky um whether you're low risk it is risky bringing a baby into the world and it requires a lot of work and yet we don't want to be treated differently from because of that so you don't want to be like i can't tell anyone i'm pregnant because i'm scared of what they're going to say or how they're going to treat me um but then it also requires some changes to your life and like there needs to be some mechanisms in place to support women so that they're getting feeling like emotionally and physically supported through this huge developmental change that's happening to like mind and body.
0: Yeah, I think I mean, it's, the whole, it's the whole purpose of Emma, right? It's why it's why we, we created her was to support women and it's why we try really hard um, to build her equitably and inclusively. And we understand that there's a lot of things about AI right now that are being questioned when it comes to inclusivity um, and building it equitably. So we're really trying to be a part of that as much as we can. Um, one of the things that I want to shift into just cause I'm really mindful of time is that, um, obviously like we are not here to fix the black maternal health crisis. It is a crisis. This is not new. The stats are disgusting. Um, they really are. So if you're listening to this and if you don't know it, go down a little rabbit hole after this and go read about it. I really think you should. What I do want to talk about with the three of you guys is that. I think products like Emma and things that are coming on the market can do so much to prevent prevent a lot of maternal crisis like this. Um, one of the things, or like kind of what I'd like to kick it off with, if it's okay, is um, what Morgan and I work with so much with Emma is how can we use uh, a user's health data to empower them to create their own positive health changes. Like one of the really cool things is that if Emma notices that you are having an issue, she can notify you of that so that you can go and talk to your OBGYN with data in the palm of your hand so that you do feel like you can maybe get them to listen to you more, for example. So why don't we start by talking out, like just talking about that? Like what do you guys think is coming up besides Emma or even things with Emma in AI that can really help change um a lot of these issues that are happening right now?
1: I mean, one of the things that we're building, which we're so I know all three of us are so excited about is what you just described. It's like, if you're on the app and you are pregnant and you've self-identified as a woman of color, Emma <laughs> um, can be there to like have different checkpoints and say like, hey, like if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, let your provider know and like turn that into a script to share with your provider um, and also be able to catch some of those things. If you're saying, you know, like, oh man, I just have this headache. And you've said that three times over the course of a week Emma I can notify you and say like, you're pregnant. You've told me three times that you have a headache like now's the time to kind of escalate this and figure out if this is just like normal pregnancy headaches from hormones or if it could be a sign of preeclampsia um and so i think just little things like that right like i it's so much work as a a pregnant person to be like oh i have to research all these things i have to know everything you shouldn't have to know everything there should be a tool available to you that like you can just know the things about your body in your experiences. And the tool will help you understand what's normal, what needs just self-care and what could use an intervention. Um, and that's where I think there's, obviously we need things beyond that. Like we are not a healthcare system. We are not a laboratory. We're not prescribing medications or inventing new medications. We need all of that too. But I think just from like, it's a very important component is just helping people understand their bodies better without the mental load and stress of being like, this is all on me.
2: So you said something like a tiny nugget in there that I want to circle back to, which is, um, I think ties back to something I said earlier, where communicating some of these things with your doctor in real time, A, even without having these like heavy things that you need to discuss or, you know, intervene with, with your doctor, I would have to go into my appointments with like a bulleted list of like, okay, I need to ask about this. I need to ask about this because otherwise I'd forget. I leave the appointment and I'd be like, oh crap, like I did not ask those questions that I needed to ask. So that's number one. The other thing is having the confidence to talk to your doc, doctor about these things is actually something I think a lot of people struggle with. Not just, I, you think you're alone in that, but I think a lot of people don't know how to communicate with their doctor because it either feels intimidating. And I, I at least know I felt super intimidated talking to my doctor and I love my doctor. She's so sweet. I also have a husband who's in medicine. So I feel like in general, I can articulate myself okay. And then, you know, I watched a ton of Grey's Anatomy, so there's that. <laughs> but um, I really wanted to touch on the part about the, using um, something like Emma to create the script for you. Um, I found that so helpful, like so incredibly helpful that you can take all the things he's talked about and you can say, hey Emma, I'm having these symptoms, these symptoms, what do you think it could be? And then she'll say it could be X, Y, and Z, but still talk to your doctor. The ability to then say, can you turn this into a bulleted list of talking points? How can I frame this to where um, I sound like logical and believable? Like, can you come up with a whole script? Like any of those requests she can do in a second. And I found that to be such a helpful tool at my fingertips to be able to just articulate myself without having to think about it. And not having to worry about, am I sounding correct? Am I sounding stupid? You know, I, I think that's a really, really important thing to touch on with AI is just silly things like creating a, a script. It, it can it, it can be the difference between you having the conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So these are, so so. we just talked about some of the things that, that Emma can help you with, some of the things that already exist. When you guys see what's coming out on Emma down the road, oh, I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Um, especially because the conversation we're having today, because we really have really tried to build her to help in these type of situations. So just to kind of um blow everybody's mind, I want us to take something that's like super specific. Okay. So we are all right now living in a world where I don't think we can envision how AI is going to change everything from healthcare to banking to literally any industry that exists. And keep in mind the three of us, we build AI and we still can't even begin to even kind of sometimes wrap our heads around it. So um, to make this a little bit fun, let's talk about this in specific to preeclampsia. So here are some of the things we actually put together um, a list earlier, just so everyone knows it's listening about some of the things that we all think as a team, in particular, that AI is going to change with preeclampsia. So Morgan, with that specific, that one little teeny thing that AI can change, not that preeclampsia is a small thing. Um, it's, it's a condition that affects many, many, many people. Um, just with that alone, let's talk about some of the crazy exciting things that we think are going to come up very soon if they're not already being worked on in just regard to one condition in one industry. So what are some of your ideas, Morgan?
1: Um. Well, so first I want to call out the Rana preeclampsia laboratory in Chicago because Mm -hmm. Dr. Rana is maternal fetal medicine. I worked with her at the University of Chicago. She's a phenomenal human. She's so passionate about changing outcomes related to preeclampsia, and she does research in Chicago and in Haiti um but she's doing something she's looking for biomarkers to test her preeclampsia way before you get to that 20-week mark where you're like oh now you have it she's looking to see who's at risk for it way earlier um and so i mean even tying that back to ai though like we have you can use ai to understand the the biomarkers and to do some risk prediction and stratification of risk so i mean it's possible she's already doing that and i don't know but um, I think that's one really useful example of like someone who's doing the like on the ground, doing this research to understand how to change outcomes, not just you know, by treating it faster, but by actually preventing it and identifying it earlier. Um, and then tying AI into that to do some of that risk prediction and then maybe even moving into like remote monitoring. So you have you could use AI for that um, to with wearable devices and you have the early intervention, the monitoring um and then some of the knowledge pieces that can come in of like how to advocate for yourself. So I'm like it's just it opens up a whole new world of possibilities. I mean for some things that are that, happening we can just like make them so much more powerful and move faster.
0: Some of this is simple and some of it's not so simple. So like we know or or hopefully um you know if you don't you will now know that one of the early warning signs if early is the right way of preeclampsia is elevated blood pressure, right? They There there is blood pressure cuffs that you can buy right now at CVS or at Stop and Shop that that are right in the market. But imagine if you had something where wearable devices and sensors were like all a part of one big package for you. Like what an easy lift for the patient. Um, The other thing is like that that Morgan was talking about is um, AI algorithms in particular can analyze crazy, crazy large data sets. Now these data sets need to exist. So some of the things that we all want to develop, maybe the data sets don't exist, or they're not in a place where AI can can really go through them in an appropriate way. But like the um, who you were just talking about, Morgan, um, we're going to call her, and we're going to work with her. And I want to do that as soon as this is done. Uh, So Rodney, who's our producer is listening in on this, write that down, Rodney, that we're gonna um, do that. But I I think risk prediction and remote monitoring, those are two of the things that I'm the most excited about. Um, Kay, is there anything else in regard to preeclampsia that you were thinking about earlier and your crazy ideas of of what we could do with AI to try to mitigate some of the risks from that that disease in particular?
2: Yeah, I think it was mostly, we kind of already touched on it. It's the uh, remote monitoring side of it where we have all of these devices and all these things that can track some of these like really highly correlated markers like high blood pressure. Uh, But everything is so fragmented right now that you take the blood pressure and it, it just isolated and it sits there. and There's nothing happening with that stat unless you give it to your doctor and unless they do something with it. So to be able to have basically a supercomputer, take an ongoing running of this data and then be able to compute for you, I think is going to be such an incredible game changer. And I mean, I don't even know if this is a spoiler alert or like what I'm even about to say, but we are trying to work with somebody, a company that does analytics and integrations with the, you know, the data from your wearable to then hopefully be able to be used as early markers and, you know, indicators for things that could be dangerous that you aren't even realizing are happening, checking your heart rate, that sort of thing. And Emma kind of taking some of those, patterns and being like, hey, on top of you mentioning to me verbally while chatting that you're having headaches, I've noticed that you've had elevated heart rates that, you know, kind of concerned me over the last three weeks of your pregnancy that we wouldn't have even noticed. Like, I think those type of things in integration and technology are so cool. And I think AI existing to be able to do that. I mean, we say it every day, but it's going to save
1: lives. 100% agree. Going to save lives.
0: I mean, it certainly should save lives like Tory Bowie's. I'm not sure what happened with Tori Bowie. I can't make assumptions. I'm not a medical provider. But I know that there is people like Tori Bowie that these deaths were preventable because we know that 80% of them were. So um, I'm excited to be a part of this solution. Um, I'm really sad and I'm apologizing to everyone ahead of time that we did not have a Black female on this call with us. We literally decided to record like right before we, we popped on, um, it was kind of like a random thing that we decided to do. So that's the reason why um, I just wanted to make sure that we were including that there is the ability for AI to make changes here. I think that that's what matters is not that it's, we know it's happening, there's systemic reasons as to why, but what can we do now as a society to make changes, right? So we wanna be a part of that solution. We hope that most of you listening wanna be a part of that solution. Um, sad topic, ladies really all you can say i think yeah really sad So, well keep listening to us if you like learning about ai i guess um i'm hoping that the next conversation will be a little bit happier um and our hearts and prayers go out to tori bowie and her entire family um and anyone else listening who's been personally affected by anything like this so um anyways have a great day ladies and we'll talk to you all soon